What really drew me to audio was the power of the human voice telling a story because I think that audio is this natural medium for empathy. You are not even conscious as a listener of how much you're reading into a human voice that you're hearing. You're subconsciously trying to get a fix on that person. Are they old? Are they young? Are they are they like you? Are they not like you? Are they from a place that you know? Are they from far away? There are all these cues that we're reading into in a human voice about age and gender and education level and region. And I found that really fascinating and that there was this emotion that would be revealed in stories that you just couldn't capture on the written page. I think that there aren't that many opportunities to do that in life where you get to try on somebody else's existence or try to think about what it would be like to be in that person's situation. And I think that that empathy is something that can be in short supply and I really value as a journalist that that's what I get to do is I get to pack a lot of people's lives into the one life that I get to live. If there's one thing we believe here on Going Forth, it's in the power of the human voice to tell meaningful stories. So three seasons and 41 episodes later, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Our story today is in two parts. In part one, Nicholas talks to Sasha Aslanian, class of 1990, who spent 30 years in public media working as a reporter and producer before moving to New York City in 2022 to take a job as a supervising producer with the podcast team at ABC News. Her commitment to Grinnell is extraordinary. She's been a longtime class fund director and serves on the Alumni Council, where she chairs a new committee on alumni student engagement. If that wasn't enough, she married a fellow Grinnellian and their youngest daughter is a member of the class of 2026. In part two, Jane and I say goodbye to Going Forth by becoming guests on the podcast as the new hosts and producers, Maya Sharetta and Lily Morish, class of 2025, do their first unofficial interview. This episode is all about the power of podcasts and why we tell stories via audio. From the Center for Careers, Life, and Service, I'm Nicholas Lampietti. And I'm Jane Hoffman. Stay with us. Yay. Well, thanks so much for being here um, with me today, Sasha. This is this is really special. I'm happy to be here. So to start, we always like to ask our guests um, to please introduce themselves. Who are you and what do you do? Sure. I'm Sasha Eslanian. I graduated from Grinnell in 1990, was an English and French major, and I'm a supervising producer at ABC Audio in New York City, and I make podcasts. So can you paint us a picture of Sasha at Grinnell? 
tell us a little bit about sort of your favorite memories, any any stories that just jump out at you as, as defining your time um, <laughs> on the on the jewel of the prairie, as we like to call it. I loved my time at Grinnell. Um, I was an English and French double major, so I was pretty lopsided in the humanities. And I also took some incredible Russian literature courses from John Mohan. And my on-campus job was I mixed glazes in the craft dungeon, and I was a tour guide. And one of the things that I did that's relevant to this conversation is I did news for KDIC, but it was terrible. I would take the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal and I would just read the front page down into the microphone. (laughs) That was my debut in radio news. Uh, You would never guess that I had any aptitude for it or that it would become a career. That's really, that's really funny. And I love, so where was the craft dungeon? Would that have been in? It was in the same building as KDIC. It was in the basement of Darby Gym, which was torn down for the Joe. It was a student-run ceramics workshop, and so we had total freedom to create whatever we wanted down there. It was a great job. That's awesome. For $3.35 an hour or whatever. <laughs> well, now now we're at 927 and, and hoping for, for more. So, yeah, I guess things, things change. Um, mm. Anyway, so speaking of uh, working for KDIC and reading the Wall Street Journal and New York Times into the microphone... Um, how did you get started in journalism? What was sort of the, the spark that lit the fire of your, your journey to broadcast? So it was a bit of an accidental journey. One of the lucky things that happened to me after I graduated was the French department would send one French major over to France to work for the French government as a English language assistant. And I was placed in a really fancy Parisian high school where the kids were already fluent in English. So I had the world's easiest job. So I just had to talk with them. And the first Gulf War was going on. And so we would talk about current events, what the U.S. was doing, what France was doing. And if I hadn't read Le Monde that day, the major French newspaper, the students would scold me and say, Mm -hmm. oh, Sasha. So I got back to the States and I thought, I really don't want to be a French language teacher because I don't think that I want to teach the same irregular verb conjugations year after year. That just won't hold my interest. I'm not a generous enough person that I can get all of my enjoyment just out of other people learning. (laughs) And um, I thought I really like talking about current events with the students. And that was subject matter that changed all the time. And so I was always learning. And I got an internship at my local public radio station and Minnesota Public Radio. They had an international news program. And so they let me produce like a 12-part retrospective on the Gulf War. I mean, it was an amazing internship. But I just discovered in public radio, I felt like I had found my people. It was like a continuation of a Grinnell education. There was sort of that, that curiosity and that sense of mission and these were the people that I wanted to make my career with, and I had stumbled into my life's work. Wow! Wow! That's that's incredible. That's I love I I love that that it was the Gulf War again. Um, so the same <laughs> event, and then that that public radio felt like sort of a, a home for you and an extension of Grinnell. I think that's a that's a beautiful thing. That's what you hope for anybody in there. 
in their professional endeavors. Yeah, I kept messaging my advisor, Michael Kavanaugh, saying, send more English majors to public radio, because <laughs> I really did think it was like a perfect career option. So can you walk us then sort of on a, on a macro level through your career trajectory? Um, how has sure. it evolved? And are there any sort of particularly pivotal moments um, that you really think altered altered your course? Yeah. So for eight years, I was a daily news producer. And so I was covering regional news for Minnesota Public Radio. And that was really exhilarating. I loved the team dynamic of working in radio. And uh, I liked working behind the scenes. It um, it was a, uh, I, I just got a really a charge out of each day's show. But it, I reached a point where I couldn't remember what was on the previous day's show, because you're so always about the next show. And I started to feel that daily news gets repetitive. Um, the beginning of the legislative session, the end of the legislative session, it starts to feel formulaic. And I wanted to have kids and I couldn't figure out how to be a daily news producer and a mom of young kids. So I moved down the hall into national programming and Minnesota Public Radio at that time was just starting a a national documentary unit called American Radio Works that was a joint production with National Public Radio. So I did that for eight years. I was a uh, coordinating producer and rose uh, and actually started reporting in a national team and then later moved back to regional news and then became a reporter for seven years. And that was really an exciting period in my career. I discovered I loved reporting. I loved getting out of the building and talking to people. And there was, um, there was a satisfaction in being the one talking to the audience and being the person that people responded to. And I then got an opportunity to go back to national programming again, to that same documentary team, this time as a correspondent. And so I did that for seven years, um, mostly covering education in that time, but some criminal justice, human trafficking. And that was, uh, that was an extraordinary extraordinarily fulfilling portfolio to get to work on. Um, so I covered higher education, which you know gave me new insights into Grinnell. And in 2022, um, during the pandemic, my career changed like a lot of people's. And I got an opportunity to go to ABC News in New York and become a podcast producer. So I'd be freed from the radio clock <laughs> and podcasting had, you know, I'd been watching with envy to see what was happening in the podcasting space. You know, we would put our documentaries out as podcasts, but they weren't really indigenous to the podcasting medium. They weren't conceived of as a narrative series, for example. And I really wanted to go and play in that space. And so ABC gave me that opportunity and I started in September of 2022. That's so exciting. And I can't wait to sort of delve into sort of the differences between radio and, and podcasts and your sort sure. of experience working working in both of those spaces. Um, but to sort of go back to, I guess, something that's, you know, the same or relatively similar to both, um, what is the difference between reporting and production? And can you sort of maybe walk 
walk us through the roles that are involved in producing radio and or a podcast. Yeah, they're um, they're really close and they're hard for outsiders to understand. So when I first came into the radio building, somebody said to me, well, it seems like maybe you want to be a producer. And I thought, well, I don't have any money because I was thinking about film producers and the people who do the deals. And that's not it at all. The radio producers are the idea people. They're the behind the scenes people. They're finding the guests to book. They're doing the background research, the pre-interviews, prepping the host for the interview, editing the interview down, writing the lead, directing the show, selecting the music bridges. So they're doing all of that kind of work. And then in a documentary context, I would be out in the field with the correspondent that I was working with. So you're every bit as much of a journalist as the reporter or the host, but your work tends to be invisible. When you're the correspondent or the reporter or the host, you're doing a lot of that same work, but you also have the performance aspect of presenting the story. I remember very distinctly the first sort of podcast I ever listened to, which, you know, was an episode of This American Life that they had put on. Um, And it was about a Somali refugee who was in Kenya and had won the green card lottery and was trying to make it to the United States. And I remember thinking, I was on a road trip when I lived in Argentina. So we were driving through like Argentina and I'm listening to the sound of somebody in a refugee camp in Kenya who's from Somalia. And it's like in the car and I can imagine that I'm there. And I was like, this is, this is how every story needs to be told. I'm, I'm sort of curious. We've talked about the similarities. We've talked about the roles. Um, what, are the, what are the big differences? And sort of, you know, especially looking to the future, where are you seeing sort of those differences leading to divergence or convergence? You, you mentioned Ira Glass. And one of my favorite lines of his is, radio is your most visual medium. And that the appeal is very much that the pictures are in your head, just like reading a great book. And so it's extraordinarily powerful because the listener is supplying something. They're bringing something to that experience. And there's also something really intimate. Like we are literally in your head as we're talking. We enter people's bodies through their earbuds and vibrate in their heads. So it's really, really intimate. I remember reading one treatise on public radio, and it was talking about how hearing is the first sense that develops in utero. I don't know for sure that that's true, but public radio people like to think that because, (laughs) you know, we, we like to think that it's this sort of primal thing that we are, um, tapping into is um, is this sense of hearing and storytelling and that we're continuing to tell stories around a digital campfire, you know, the way that humans always have. So we're taking those really, really powerful building blocks that I think that, you know, we were using somewhat well in radio, but Podcasting has been really an exciting renaissance for the audio form because I think in a lot of ways there's been experimentation and that has has 
has in turn gotten radio to be a little less buttoned up. Um, and when I say that, I mean, we're doing a lot more first person. I think we're doing a lot more sort of peeling back how journalism works, how a reporter investigates something, because we have more time. And I always love hearing a reporter talk shop about how they got the story idea, how they pursued it, those moments of doubt along the way, the incredible lucky things that happen when they get a trove of documents or or somebody tips them off, you know, where to look or who to talk to or somebody, you know, has been waiting all these years and finally, you know, decides that that they want to unburden themselves and and tell the story. So I think in a podcast, you just have more space. And so the reporter is bringing you along on this quest. And I find that really compelling as a listener and and as a, a producer. And I think it's good for journalism, for us to be more transparent about how we find information, how we vet information, uh, because public trust has eroded and that's a huge problem for us. And so I think showing people a little bit more how we do our jobs and the kind of work that we do. Like I once spent a week going through court documents in a Louisiana courthouse so that my correspondent could say one line with authority, you know, police were never called, you know, like that, that was like the extent of it, but we had to go through thousands of pages of documents in order to be able to say that without any weasel words of it appeared or apparently, or, you know, <laughs> um, you know, we didn't have to hedge it. We knew it. And that's the kind of work you have to do to back up a statement like that. You touched on this idea of sort of, you know, eroding trust and, and I'm curious about sort of the value of, of public media in America. And you, you sort of see, I know, NPR is having financial difficulties with their funding model. You know, I think it's, it's, and with the sort of, I guess, you see it mirrored across all the industries, the rise of streaming and, you know, the Writers Guild strike that we're seeing right now. You know, all of these sort of, you know, tectonic plates of media, um, media distribution are shifting and, you know, I think you've 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 already told given us so many reasons why this is important, why radio, why audio is important. Um, but I was wondering if you had anything sort of else to add about the the role of of audio storytelling, podcasts, radio in the in the future of of the country. So, in my career, I've stayed really close to the making. I haven't really gone off into the strategy stratosphere and the deal making and you know the future predictions because i think really i'm kind of old-fashioned <laughs> and i stubbornly believe that good storytelling will always be relevant and i like i think that some of the turbulence in this industry this kind of shakeout um while it's incredibly painful for uh, people who are in it, like I, I believe that uh, um, there will continue to be incredible work that gets made and that gets consumed by people. So I am optimistic that this is just a little bit of a hiccup, but that um, 
we're we're still in a golden age of podcasting. <laughs> that's really that's really good to hear and and affirming and gratifying in so many ways and taking it back to Grinnell and to job hunting um, when you're when you're sort of uh, about to graduate after you've graduated. Um, if you could tell your Grinnell self anything, what what would it be? I think about this a lot because I have um, I have two daughters. I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and I think that I wish I wouldn't have worried so much. I wish I wouldn't have worried. Will I ever amount to anything? Will anyone ever love me? You know those things that you worry about when you're in college, um, feeling like. I've had all of these resources poured into me. I have this Grinnell education. I have to amount to something. You will. And just <laughs> trust that that's going to happen. And to specifically Grinnellians, past, present, and, and future, who are looking to go into audio or who mm -hmm. sort of might be considering branching out, wanting to, to become a journalist, wanting to get into production or editing. What advice would you give to them? Where should, where should they start? So I'm sort of split on this because I don't feel like I should be out evangelizing for people to become journalists. It's a tough and shrinking profession. That said, there are those people who are just wired to become journalists. They want to know what's going on. They want to figure things out. They want to tell people. And God bless those people. We need them. One of the things that has changed a lot for the better is that the tools of doing this kind of work are so within reach. Like, you know, we're all carrying smartphones, which are really powerful reporting tools. And so the barrier of access to create a podcast, I've never been lower, you know, I, I mean, part of it is everybody has a podcast now because it's so easy to plug a microphone into your laptop and, and away you go. Um, so I do think that just making stuff is, is really a good way to get started, like just willing things into existence. Like you're curious about something, try it, um, you know, don't. Don't sit around and wait for somebody to give you an assignment. Like, start making stuff and 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 post them and um, look for opportunities to do more. And I I really think that people who are cut out for this work, like they're just going to be making stuff. So I think there will always be people who want to go into journalism and. There's nothing that energizes me more than talking with young people who are entering the field. And um, I've always played a big role in our internship program. And I'm just such a big believer in, um, in that mentoring relationship. Um, I was the beneficiary of lots of terrific mentor relationships. And I really try to carry that forward. I want to say one thing about the power of Grinnell alums for students. Um, when I was sort of thrashing around after graduation, 
not again, not knowing if I was ever going to amount to anything. My French advisor, Jan Berkowitz, said, well, you really should talk to this guy, Duffer Schultz. He was a French major. He lives up in Minneapolis by you. And um, he does some media stuff. You, you might find him interesting. And so I got in touch with Duffer and he took me out to lunch. And at the time he was doing marketing videos for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And he sat me down for lunch, took me out to a you know nice place downtown Minneapolis. And he was just beaming. He was so excited for me about the life I had ahead of myself. He was way more excited than I was. And I just remember he looked at me and he he said, with your Grinnell education, you can do anything. And he had this kind of confidence in me that I didn't have in myself. And I wrote to him years later to just say, that was such a boost. I really needed to hear that. And unfortunately, Duffer uh, passed away a few years ago, and I was able to get in touch with his daughters and recount the story to them, which they had never heard because, you know, Duffer just did this kind of thing probably for hundreds of people. But I think alums really can do a lot for students. I mean, both in terms of, you know, hooking you all up with internships and having you job shadow us and um, donating money to the school so that you have these incredible resources. So there's a lot that we can do, but also I think just on a personal level, just for you all to know, like we've got your back. Believing in yourself is one of the hardest things to do. And if there's one thing we hope you take away from listening to Going Forth, it's that Grinnellians believe in Grinnellians. Speaking of believing in Grinnellians, we're thrilled to introduce the new hosts and producers of Going Forth for a little retrospective about what we've learned working on the podcast. So, hi, I'm Maya Sharetta. I'm a rising third year Um, a religious studies major, and I'm here because I'm very enthusiastic about podcasting, and I'm just super excited to learn more about the medium and to have fun interviewing interesting people. Hi, my name is Lily Morish. Uh, I use any pronouns. I'm also a rising third year. Uh, I'm an independent major in critical linguistics, and I'm here because I love audio journalism. I've spent the past two years in print, and while I've loved it, I'm Really excited to branch out to new media. That's so exciting. That's so exciting. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. Um, I feel like, I don't know, we're letting our children go off to, it's like sending our children off to kindergarten, right, Jane? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the podcast, the podcast, the child. Yeah. 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 Def- yeah. Definitely. We're great kindergarten teachers. And I know you're great kindergarten <laughs> exactly. teachers. That's the thing. Um, we thought it would be fun if you interviewed us um, for for this final little segment on on the podcast. Uh, so what questions do you have, have for us about going forth and, and the work we do? I think my most pressing question right now is, what is the most difficult part of running going forth and how did you overcome that? Because I'm freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't freak out. Um, I think this 
um, for this season at least, one of the like main challenges we faced was um, like guest wrangling almost, um, because we spent a lot of time researching guests and putting together um, a lineup of people that we wanted to feature on the podcast. And we started out with a really clear schedule at the beginning of the semester, and just over the semester, um, you know, things happen, life comes up, people aren't able to attend, people don't get respond back to your emails, and our sort of best laid plans started to go astray. Um, and so we had to sort of broaden our our focus um, and be, I guess, more creative in who we were reaching out to, think about new avenues. And so um, at the end, the like roster that we put out does look a little bit different than the episode plan that we had at the beginning. Um, but I think it's ultimately still something that I'm really proud of. Um, and I think we feature like interesting conversations with interesting people, even if um, o- over the way, over the course of recording, we had to be really creative and adaptive uh, throughout it. Does that ring true to you? Yeah, definitely. It's it's a like game of not trial and error, but it really is like you will spend just as much time like emailing people mm-hmm. and you know doing that sort of like boring as you will you know actually on the microphone having the conversations. But the nice thing is that it makes that on microphone time when you're connecting with the guests even more even more meaningful. And I have to say some of our favorite, some of the favorite episodes that I worked on were ones that sort of popped up almost by chance. Like um, our conversation with Zeka Aiden um, came to fruition because she was visiting um, through the Wilson Center. And so um, Mike Lawrence at the CLS put us in touch with her and she hadn't originally, had not originally been on our radar for this season in particular, but um, that conversation with her ended up being one of my very favorites um, this semester. So thinking about all of the ways that you can bring people on, whether that's through like researching in the alumni um, directory or just through conversations with different professors and people on campus who um, have all sorts of interesting referrals. We're grateful for all your wrangling efforts. Um, (laughs) As cliche as it might be, as it may be, um, what is something that you wish you knew before going into this? Jade, I feel like you have to take this. <laughs> I think... And then I'll think of something. Sure, sure. I mean, it's not that I didn't know how much, I guess, like, background work there was in terms of um, thinking about the arc of a season, but I, I think I didn't think about how many uh, people are involved in the production of the show because I uh, coming in, I knew that, you know, Meredith and Nicholas and Katie had been working on this before, but I didn't realize what, like, a network we had with um, the good people over at DAR or um, the Office of Communications or um, how we sort of fit into the larger CLS infrastructure, and that's been a really interesting experience just to learn more about all of the people who can, like, support us in our work and our mission and then who also we can support um, through the content that we put out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, this is, it's really hard because like, I there's only been one semester of my time on campus that I have not been doing this. And so it's like hard to imagine Grinnell without going forth in the podcast, um, at least for me. Um, there's going to be, there's no moment where it's going to be running smoothly. Like there's always going to be a hiccup somewhere down the line or somewhere sort of in the, in the plan. And it's just sort of saying at the end of the day, we don't take this too seriously. It's about telling good stories, but more importantly, it's about, you know, conversations and connecting with alums. And, you know, you are you are a proxy for all of the Grinnellians who, you know, hopefully are hearing these conversations and who have the same questions that, that you do. I wish I had just sort of, like, embraced the conversational component. I think also, okay, here's a really concrete thing that I will say. We had a huge like quality over or quantity over quality thing in the beginning where we were focused on churning out episodes. And I wish I had known that the quality of the conversation matters so much more than the like professions we cover and guests we cover. And that really like one absolute zinger of an episode 
is going to be so much better than like three short sort of meh episodes. Another thing that I wanted to know is more about the creative process and what you find joy in besides speaking with guests and, you know, collaborating with each other. I really love finding uh, through lines between various guests and um, or even within uh, the story of one guest finding um, at the kind of at the end of the interview. Sometimes we'll ask about the or we always ask about the advice that they have for um, current students. And they tend to look back on the arc of their career and identify the things that have carried them through, whether that is like exerting, you know, a free agent mentality or doing things that really scare you or um, leading with your passions and leading with um, your values. And so I think hearing those moments of realization are always just really um meaningful for me for them, um, hearing from them, and then also being able to share those stories with others is really meaningful. Playing with the episodes are really fun. So you have, you have a conversation and sometimes those conversations are half an hour and the alums respond to every question perfectly and it's beautiful and you do a minimal edit and then you send it out. And other times an alum will talk for three hours and not answer a single one of your questions and you have to figure out how to turn that into something that's accessible and digestible to the entire population um, or to, the, to, our, to our listenership. Um, and that is, I think, the sort of creative. That's where you really, like, you know, roll up your sleeves and say, okay, I'm going to exercise my creative muscles and think about how do I distill this? How do I, you know, how do I listen to all of this and take the most important themes, sort of put them put them together, and then you might find, okay, actually, I want to scrap all of my questions from the interview themselves, and I want to do through narration, and I want to add music, and then so it's me writing an entire script, and then segmenting the guests' sort of portions in, and, you know, adding the music component and whatnot. That's the challenge, and that's, like, creative, the sort of creative side. And then sort of planning planning the episodes, too. You get to sort of have the, the agency to say, okay, I really want to do an episode with two different people and I want to have them talking to each other and then I also want X, Y, and Z. Or maybe I want to have two separate interviews and then I want to combine them. And so really, like, the sky's the limit in terms of what you can do. And so it's like deciding what you want to and figuring out what's going to challenge you creatively and then then rolling with it. You mentioned that uh, you wished you'd sort of embraced the conversational component earlier since you're just getting free advice from alums and being paid to do so. Um, What's some of the best advice you've received that you think you'll be taking with you into your future endeavors? Okay, I'm sort of thinking about recent interviews, um, the one we had with Decca Aiden, um, where she spoke about just leading with enthusiasm and when you lead with enthusiasm and make it really clear about what you're interested in and what you're excited about, people tend to gravitate towards that and they remember you and they remember um, the things that you're interested in and kind of reach out with um, opportunities in the future. And so I feel like the advice that I'm taking away from that is just to be really clear about what I'm interested and excited about um, and that and that I'm all, you know looking for opportunities to collaborate with people who share those interests and values. And so, um, yeah, just trying trying to be like unapologetic about that going forward is um, exciting for me. Oh, love that. I'm struggling to distill <laughs> a year and a half of wisdom into one coherent statement, but I think it would come down to everything is going to be okay. Yes. Like it will all work out. There are so many moments where you will have no idea what you're doing and good things will come from them. And Grinnell is 
we all have one thing in common, which is Grinnell. And so there is that, that means something like Grinnell isn't just Grinnell. It's Grinnell. Like there is a, there is a whole sort of universe that comes with that. And even though, you know, someone might've gone to school here when Darby, the old Darby gym was where the JRC is and they ate in Coles because that's where one of the dining halls was. They still probably went to Harris's and they would, you know, pull pranks on the Loja roof on South campus. Like they're still, they're sort of like, defining threads or features about sort of the Grinnellian experience. And that is a really powerful tool for connection. And so to, to leverage that and to reach out to people and, you know, that while sort of the Grinnell network is, is robust and developed and Grinnellians are always willing to help other Grinnellians. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times, like there has not been a single interview in which, the guest has not benefited from another Grinnellian at some point in their career trajectory. It's like there is a whole wide world out there and sending that email is never going to hurt and could lead to amazing things. I can tell you the number of times alums have sort of been like walking down the street and bumped into the job opportunity that changed their life or changed their career trajectory or you know, reconnected the number of Grinnellians who have gotten married after reconnecting since leaving Grinnell. Well, my dream, my dream has always been to do like an offshoot of this. Oftentimes alums will get sort of down these rabbit holes of the pranks they played and the like crazy things they did. And like, they'll want to talk about where they lived on campus and where you live on campus and you know, who they know that might've lived in your room. (laughs) That's so funny. And I'm like an alternative of going forth is the like, alum shenanigans like story um so maybe you guys will have to do a couple like episodes i don't know what the like jcc after dark jcc after dark going forth after dark literally the compilation we just we group all the alums by like what (laughs) residence hall they were in and then talk about the pranks they played there um yeah so i am actually really so excited for you guys i think this is gonna be incredible you are going to Ugh, learn so much. It's going to be really tough at times, but it's going to be so much fun. And you guys are going to bring a like perspective and voice that neither of us could have ever dreamed about. So yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm thrilled. To be here. You're going to crush it. Um, and I know that in India it's low technology, <laughs> but I do will have Apple podcasts. And so I will be scrolling <laughs> and I will be, um, yeah, listening to everything you guys do and cheering from halfway around the world. 10 hours ahead is I think the time zone. Um, Jane's going to be cheering from right here on campus. Go forth, I'm so excited. go forth. I know. Oh my gosh. Look at that. Yeah. You guys get ready to go forth on, on the new adventure of hosting going forth. Special thanks to all the incredible alums we've interviewed over the past year and a half, especially Sasha Aslanian, everybody at the CLS, Development and Alumni Relations, and the Office of Communications for their help making Going Forth go forth. While we're on pause this summer, make sure to check out career.grinnell.edu or your favorite podcast listening platform for more episodes.